Hello, and welcome to Mixed Signals, the show for definitive opinions about all things audio. I'm Berk Mola, and with me are Jack Newcomb and Vasilis Paras. We're the Arbiters of Sound. And together, we shall define the undefinable and settle all audio debates forever. Welcome to Mixed Signals. This is the third and final part of the virtual gigs discussion. So if you haven't listened to the first two parts, we strongly urge that you go back and listen to those first. In this one, we won't really be talking about virtual gigs per se, but more about how do we get back to our normal lives and get back to normal gigs as we know them. So without further ado, here we go. So basically, I want to talk a little bit about some of the things that are being done on the path to returning to live gigs. So we talked a lot about virtual gigs and some of the things that will potentially, you know, replace or take some of the the market share, if you will, of live gigs. But obviously live gigs are not going to go away anytime soon. And with the whole pandemic thing, there needs to be a path back to that. So I guess, yeah, to start off with, we can probably talk about something that's already been going on, uh, mostly last summer, but... uh, socially distanced gigs have you guys been to any what are your thoughts on them uh no no i haven't Bustless? no i am socially distancing from civilization right now uh, <laughs> socially distance everything is what you're doing yeah i mean uh, i barely go to the supermarket so i haven't had the chance to <laughs> to go to a gig i mean what do you think of them as an idea though you know, given all the things we said about live gigs and uh, some of the nice things about them. No, I think I think it's cool. I think it's a cool idea. And I've uh, heard some uh, experiences from uh, friends of mine that live in busier places. And uh, obviously, it's going to be better for a gig that's more uh, intimate, more low key. I'm not really sure yeah. that the socially distanced uh, gig is a very, very good idea for, I don't know, the prodigy or <laughs> extreme. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I can see how it would work, especially in something traditional like uh, classical music, for instance, where mm-hmm. you're just anyway, you're going to a place and you're sitting uh, in a on a chair and you're being very quiet and everything it just happens now that there's no other people in a two meter radius so i think that it will work but obviously depending on the type of music you are going to to listen to i think it's worth saying by the way that what we mean by socially distanced gigs and i guess what we've seen happen up to now is like tables usually in in, uh, some of the some of the gigs that are inside where, you know, all the tables are kind of arranged in a way that everyone can stay a- away from each other. But this has also happened um, in like outdoor gigs in big, big sort of parks where they kind of made these little platforms that were, again, distanced from each other. But they were also like um, gated off from each other. So it's a very, mm. yeah, it looks very strange when you look at it, basically. Just all these little <laughs> gated <laughs> areas. From an artist's point of view, wouldn't that be strange? If you were in a big park and then you look down and you see 
all these isolated islands of people. Yeah. That yeah. must be weird to play to. Just like uh, someone going absolutely batshit crazy in like, <laughs> this tiny little, you know, island. Must look really strange. I mean, yeah, I, I think it sounds like a potentially cool idea. I mean, there are probably gigs out there that had this kind of setup before social distancing. So, like, I guess if you go to a, you know, a jazz bar or something, you might be able to get your own table, and then you're going to be reasonably distanced anyway. Um, but yeah, like you said, for certain types of music, it just, it just doesn't really work. I mean, I, I've heard people talking about like driving gigs as well mm. which seems like oh, yeah. okay in theory and I, I like the novelty of the idea i definitely give it a try but like you're basically gonna have to get out your cars to get a good experience because hearing it through a car window on the side <laughs> with the windshield in front of you is just not going to be that great is it yeah. yeah but come on performing to that is like performing to a parking lot i can't <laughs> <laughs> It's pretty good. Like it's easy to practice. Um, you know, you just go to one of your <laughs> local car parks and just. <laughs> we are talking about all these things from a point of view of the audience, but think about the artist. Think about being there on stage, and maybe for some people that might be shy, it might be okay because you don't have like people staring at you from uh, from really close. But I guess that part of the live show is feeding off the energy of the of the crowd so yeah <laughs> is the energy going to be there if they are socially distanced maybe it's definitely not going to be any moshing or any uh i don't know crowded dancing yeah exactly i think like a big part of that comes from people just like on top of each other like kind of fighting for space <laughs> moving around <laughs> you know bumping into each other sweating like um, and yeah, if you've got these isolated islands, even if you look there and somebody's really having a great time, it's not going to give the same feeling for sure. And like, it's it's nice to, as you say, move around. It's nice to move to the front for a few songs, then go to the back, then go to the bar. You, mm, you, exactly. you lose a lot of just quite natural interaction. And it's that's what I think has been putting me off from from trying it out. Other than obviously it's kind of like, even with all the social distancing that you can put in place, as Vassal has said, like, there's, there's still a risk. That's the main reason that I think a lot of people will just will just wait because the trade off of that risk is like an experience that just doesn't feel as as good uh, in a lot of ways. However, I guess if I saw the right thing, so like you mm -hmm. said, if you saw a gig for a band who very rarely plays where you are, maybe or a particular type of venue, but they they've changed up what they're doing and it's someone you're really interested in then yeah, I'd, I'd probably give it some hard consideration and potentially go, but it'd have to be the right band doing the right thing and also mm -hmm. potentially doing something else different. So like maybe playing an album through they never play or that kind of thing. Then like I don't I don't see the no like the novelty of socially distanced gigs isn't that appealing in its own novelty. If you see what I mean? Yeah, but I uh, I do also think that, um, and this is something that is probably valid for like all the things we're going to mention. But the fact that you're able to go to a gig at all, even if it's in a socially distanced manner, I think like trumps everything for me. Like, man, I just want to go to a gig. Like, I just want to hear live music. And if I have to mm -hmm. be in a gated off island with like few people, even if it's not the same experience, like, holy shit, I want to do that right now. You know, like if that's what it takes, 
then I, then I'm in. Okay. And that's how I'm looking at it. So, like for me, yeah, of course it's better if it's the right music and the right vibe, whatever. But fuck it, I'm in either way. I feel for the right music, the socially distanced gig in in the appropriate place, which probably is not in a park, has also that kind of more exclusivity to it. Yeah, I don't want to say it's that it's exclusive because it's kind of I hate that word. <laughs> I hate what you mean, but. If you imagine and you if you imagine that you could go and see an artist that usually you would have to go and see in a very big place that's very crowded, sweaty, etc., 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 and you see them in this more intimate um, situation where you get to have your own separate space with maybe your friends and it's everything is a bit more uh, low key. I think it's it's an experience you would never have in one in a, in a big crowded gig. And obviously that puts the, the, the importance of the gig on more on the music rather than on the whole, you know, physical being there, dancing, uh, however you want to, how would you call that physical experience? Yeah. But to me, um, like, I don't know, this might be a naive outlook, but wouldn't artists prefer to play in places that are normally too big for them to sell out, given that the audience is going to, like, they can't let as many people in, right? Mm -hmm. So instead of going from big places, which would have been sold out, to smaller places, which are now socially distanced, mm -hmm. and thus even fewer people, I feel like they would want to do the other way. So, like, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but the chance of people wanting to do intimate gigs is lower because the percentage of people that can go in the venue is already limited by the socially distanced uh, rules. No, maybe you're right. I'm just talking that when you say socially distanced, I'm thinking of, of a smaller alternative uh, gig in a smaller space that makes the space part of the experience. Because when mm. when you say socially distanced, and I imagine the O2 arena just being with people being separated, it feels so weird. I don't know. Like so I wouldn't want to play there. It would feel like a kind of like a convention or something. I <laughs> yeah, I, I don't true. know. And it's this whole other thing that maybe it's a Greek thing, but in in Greece the the big the big artists, the, the famous artists, they don't play. They mostly don't play proper gigs. They book a place where they they play for like three four months, almost every night. Mm. And they Residency. play for five six hours, and everyone that goes there gets a big table, and then go there and they eat. <laughs> And they drink, yeah, and it's yeah. and it it's kind of that experience which I don't know people like me don't really like. And playing in a situation where there's people sitting and eating or drinking it just makes me feel <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it's like Greek version of uh, baseball games, yeah, or cruise ships or something like that. <laughs> I mean, when we were younger and we used to go to places and, and the, the places we had the, the sitting configuration, we would always argue with the owners, like, you know, remove all the tables, all the chairs <laughs> in the day. And they would say, yeah, well, but what if people want to sit and uh, get a bottle of them? Like, no, people don't sit. If they're old, they don't come to the gig. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, what about festivals? Uh, because, I mean, this is something that we've been discussing with... Uh, some friends recently and you know gigs is one thing but like festivals i really want festivals to happen and for them to come back as soon as possible it's worth noting at this point as well that um we've had the recent news that unsurprisingly glastonbury has been cancelled mm. um yeah yeah 
Um, still hopeful for some of the other UK festivals this year, maybe later into the summer because of the vaccination program going pretty well. But I just think that the the, the expense of well, yeah, I guess yeah, if if they can get the numbers, but yeah, in terms of social distancing, the expense of a festival, I just can't see how they can offset it with a small number of people. I think that's really problematic um, for the festival industry and i think they kind of they they knew that early on and i i you know i got a lot of respect for the festival um runners who are now turning to, to digital formats and stuff and just trying to find something and again looking at other novelties so looking at like getting bands to do things that they wouldn't have done before um i forget the name of it, it was someone that someone posted recently uh metal festival I think that happens in kind of northern Europe that where they're they, they're getting bands, they've specifically asked bands to play things that they don't normally kind of do for those things and to do collaborations that wouldn't normally happen and and so on. Um but yeah, I mean yeah, if there's a way you can support the festivals that you've been to before, uh, then and you know if there's a way you can support um the festival runners for festivals that you've been to before, you should absolutely do it, whether that is them putting on a live version with social distancing or not. But do you know do you know of any that are going ahead with physical attendance or are still planning to go ahead with physical attendance? Well, there are lots that haven't actually announced that they have been cancelled. So, you know, people are holding out hope, I guess. But yeah, I don't think anybody's said, Yeah, yeah, we're definitely doing it. Because yeah, nobody knows obviously. Yeah, man, how is this gonna happen? Like we're talking about thousands of people, like the most likely vaccination is gonna be done by then, even if it's done, it doesn't mean that everyone is a hundred percent safe. Mm-hmm. I don't know what is the you know, the risk of getting all these people there and mixing and obviously part of the festival experience is not just going and watching the bands, it's all the all the rest, going there and Staying there, sleeping overnight, eating overpriced uh, food, and uh, <laughs> all the other things—that's uh, what makes it a bit more difficult for festivals, right? Because yeah. like you don't just go somewhere, kind of sit in your seat and watch one stage. You want to move around and see different stages and bands, mm-hmm. and yeah, get overpriced food, as you say. <laughs> so yeah, it makes it a little more difficult. But I do think you know, with the whole vaccination program and potentially rolling out things like. The um, uh, what is it? The COVID passport, mm-hmm. I think it's called, right? That they're going to trial in London, Bristol, um, where you basically have to, you know, do a test before you go to a festival and prove that you're you're negative. I mean, don't you think some of those things will mitigate it if you can actually reliably know that people are vaccinated slash uh, are testing negative? Mm-hmm. Then surely that risk is like very very minimal. And maybe you you combine that with social distancing uh, to make it even safer. But yeah, I don't know legally from a risk point of view, uh, they need to cover them themselves, shouldn't they? Yeah, I assume so. Because you can say, yeah, I I, I don't know what scandals <laughs> uh, can uh, can happen, but I know that in uh, other places they were uh, handing out like. Uh, fake test results and things like that. So obviously mm-hmm. that can't happen in such a situation in case that happens and then suddenly, you know, a few hundreds of people get coronavirus, then who's responsible for that? Who is, I mean, you, you can't even trace the person that brought the uh, disease in the festival. I think as well, one of the big problems that is probably going to concern, well, everybody involved in the COVID response and festival runners is going to be the fact that the people most likely to go are going to be the most risk averse 
Yeah, okay, that, that's, that, that's going to be yeah. quite problematic because the people who are most like people like yourself, Burke, who just want to go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, you know, you know what I mean. Like people who, well, yeah, you know, uh, that's that's fair. I mean, to, to counter my own point, there are people like yourself who just want to go and see good music and will follow the rules. But there's also a lot of people who want the gig experience and the festival experience who are going to have the same festival experience in spite of COVID rather than, you know, with consideration for COVID and the people around them. And I think that that's that's highly problematic. But they, there are ways of tackling that stuff as well. So, like, I can definitely see when festivals do reopen, when we're a bit further down the line, when the vaccine's been, like, you know, pretty widely rolled out, um, doing limited day passes and runs. Like, like, in my head, the worst case scenario is people go to Glastonbury and then, like, day eight, you know, we're five days into incubation, uh, and like you know everybody's starting to all collapse at the same time and fall over <laughs> and then you've got like every ambulance and paramedic and helicopter in a hundred mile radius all trying to get people out of glastonbury that would be like a nation yeah collapsing you're right. train wreck you know it's, you're right uh, that's a, yeah and like it's not even just glastonbury it's like not like in glastonbury yeah, yeah. the local um hospitals probably can't cope with that kind of like the roads and trains and just even the basic infrastructure on a normal year around Glastonbury can't yeah, cope with Glastonbury. Yeah. So like, yeah. and like, you know, they a lot of the towns in the local area and, uh, you know, the nearest cities do things to accommodate for all of those things, but you, you can't accommodate mm. for thousands and thousands of people getting so sick that they can't get out kind of thing. It's it's just not But But it's feasible. not only that. The problem is still with the older people that are not going to go to Glastonbury. Like even if you you went to Glastonbury and there was a COVID outbreak and there were a few people there, a few hundred people that maybe are asymptomatic and then they go back to their places all over the UK and then you get another wave because of just a few people that went somehow into Glastonbury uh, with, uh, undetected with coronavirus. Because most likely, yeah, yeah most likely the young people are not going to get sick or even die at this point. We kind of kind of let's say no that but yeah do you um, know do you know how effective uh, you know the vaccination will be to protect the the vulnerable you know three four five months from now when when at the same time they're all talking about oh there's the kent variant oh there's the south african variant oh there's the, mm. the new whatever manchester variant and whatever this can keep going on forever <laughs> I just, you just reminded me that I read a headline the other day that sounded like it was about a band or a music artist, but it was Kent variant due to go global. And I was like, that sounds like that headline is just slightly too positive for my liking and like the way it was presenting the information <laughs> due to go global. They're going to like, everyone's going to know about Kent variant, um, which would be an awesome, you know, yeah, uh, it's a good name. name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Name. You've got dibs now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you raise a good point though uh which is well you didn't say it explicitly but the way that the vaccines are being rolled out it's obviously mm-hmm. by age group right mm-hmm. so by the time the festival season comes around it's highly likely that the majority of older people will be vaccinated mm-hmm. and the majority of younger people will not be vaccinated mm-hmm. and if we're talking about things like you know vaccination reports and well yeah i guess vaccination reports into um festivals and so on then is there a bit of elitism there 
somehow. Yeah. Because you kind of have to prove yourself uh, to get into somewhere. But obviously, that's something that's not even in our control at this point, um, you know, being younger. And yeah, how's that going to work? I like to think that the like, I, I see what you're getting at. I think there is a place where there is going to be a definite elitism, but I don't. I don't think it's the UK. I, I mean, we we know that we're rolling out the vaccine in the way we're rolling it out because needs must. Um, however, mm-hmm. there are other parts of the world where you can pay to play, right? So, like most of those countries, I'm, I'm not going to name the, the the big obvious one with the the stars and the, the stripes and all that stuff. But um, <laughs> I like Chile. Like <laughs> nailed it, nailed it. Um, <laughs> we are incredibly impartial here at Mixed Signals. We like to talk about all countries equally. Um, but <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like there are places where people are going to be able to pay to get into those things faster. And like, I I can picture situations definitely in which like they say, oh well, like especially countries that are so much more capitalism and commercially oriented. Where getting your COVID passport might might not necessarily be the same as getting your vaccine, if you see what I mean, or that might be to get the documentation is more difficult, and that only certain people are able to attain it. I can see it in that case. I think you're still right in the UK. Like it, it will it, it it is a bit weird. It is a bit of a problem. But like a lot of the people, but <laughs> it would be, I guess, like in the extreme, you've made me picture like you know. Uh, you know, Metallica finally getting on their world tour and it's just full of people over 60. Um, <laughs> no, no, normal Metallica gig. But seriously, like, yeah, like, I don't know, just, I, yeah, I'm not going to do, you know, I think everybody's gathered from our previous episode that I'm really old, so it's fine. I'm not going to try and name any younger <laughs> artists or more contemporary people. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I don't think that's really gonna happen um i don't think suddenly like the people that i don't I, I don't even think bands will start doing gigs until those age ranges that are most likely to attend gigs are covered basically i think until the 20 to 40 age range is is vaccinated i don't i, don't, I doubt we'll even see people like wanting to take the commercial risk of of setting lots of gigs up i could be wrong but yes. yeah. Yeah, it's true. But like you say, you know, they do have to get back into it at some point. Um, And obviously festivals do want to run their editions this year if they can, I imagine, uh, for economic reasons. So for them, it's definitely very unfortunate uh, that younger people are getting it later, even though it makes sense uh, from a rollout perspective. But yeah, like I think we could be also in a position where, you know, some portion of the younger people have actually had it because obviously that's going to take time, right? And then at that point, you know, the people who have had it are just extremely lucky and they can go to places and go to gigs and stuff, whereas the other portion will not be able to. And I, I think there might be some friction going on at that point in time uh, from what I envisage. I, I guess as well, it's something that would be nice to see. And I, I'm not exactly sure how they'd fund it or pay for it, but maybe they could do gigs for key workers as well because they are going to be vaccinated. There are a lot of young people in that group and like key workers in the UK at least are going to be is going to be a huge number of people that are vaccinated by the time everybody kind of over 50 or 60 who's clinically vulnerable is also vaccinated. So yeah. it would be maybe nice to see some bands doing that kind of thing and providing that kind of entertainment. Um, but I, again, yeah. I don't, I'm a little bit fuzzy on exactly how you would organize that and pay for it and so on. But it, yeah, it, it seems like it would be a really good thing to do. Like so many other companies have, you know, put their time and energy and, you know, basically given away things for, uh, for key workers uh, over the past year or so. 
I mean, obviously, the industry is in a really bad place, especially the live industry is... In the beginning, they thought that they would have a problem probably until Easter of 2021. But now, you know, as the year is... As the year came, I think people have realized that this is not over. It's not going to be over by this summer. And most definitely, I think that festivals are not happening. They're like a huge, huge risk. And the industry has to find ways to do certain things, even if they are, they are smaller and even if they are very, very niche in order to kind of survive. But at the same time, I don't think there should be like a, a reaction to all this that, oh, you know, now we have to put more money into the economy and la- let's just destroy everything we've, we've accomplished and have another wave, another outbreak of uh, something like... Uh, and I know that this is also controversial of what happened last uh, last summer with eating out and all that. But, you know, if that helped us get to the second wave, then obviously that was a very bad decision. So I don't think that having festivals, which is even worse than going to the pub, is going to really help. But at the same time, I really, really feel bad for the entire uh, live music industry that I don't know how it's going to survive after two years of doing nothing. Yeah, and I think the easing out thing is a really good point of comparison because that second wave of locking down in the UK really killed a lot of businesses dead. Mm-hmm. Like a lot mm-hmm. of, like I even have moments now where we go to like, occasionally get, you go to order food um, to be delivered or to pick up, but obviously not to eat in. And then notice maybe that their restaurant's not there. And like often it'll just be that they've, you know, they've they've moved somewhere else or they've changed the way that they're doing their their deliveries or they're or kind of doing making food for people. But on some occasions they're just they're just gone. Like you look and then you search and you find a news article and yep, they've just they didn't make it through. And it's really unfortunate. I, I'm gonna guess it'll be the same for venues. Um and I've I've well I've read about some well known American venues that it has happened to and, and they have closed down. I do expect like no one's I assume no one's jumping on those things for anything else at the moment. It's not like you're gonna be like, oh I'll turn it into office space because you've got the same problem. Um, you could maybe turn a lot of them into living accommodation, I don't know, but I suspect some of them, the spaces themselves will weather the storm and that somebody else will come in and take over when we are back to business as usual. But there are some that are going to disappear too. But then also, like, silver lining on a very dark cloud, maybe some new venues will appear, maybe some people who wouldn't have entered that that space previously will come in and, and try it and and maybe as well you like to hope some people in the music industry will do their best to try and bring those things back in the areas that they care about so particularly artists and the place that they're from you would hope that kind of you know the venues they worked when they were younger that might have found it a lot harder to, to weather the storm will um that they'll give some consideration to and either try and help keep them alive or you know try and bring them back once it's all over but I don't know what the situation is with production companies because everything mm. that was planned for last summer and got cancelled, obviously they were at a loss because they had already paid for uh, you know, the logistics of doing the festivals. And now in the second year in a row, that is not happening. I, I don't know if they are uh, deeply in debt. It's uh, and I don't know how many years in advance they have been paying contracts to uh, to book certain uh, places or book uh, big uh, outdoor venues to to do festivals and things like that. So if you have a contract for like a decade and then suddenly out of this decade two years you get zero income, 
I don't know if it will be possible for certain of these companies to continue and do big, uh, big events next year because we're talking about probably tens of millions of pounds uh, worth of money. Yeah, and I mean, I, I don't know. I in in normal everyday life, I can be quite conservative about that stuff in some ways like i always feel that if your business model doesn't let you succeed like take take the obvious kind of monopolies in various markets around the world or you know perceived monopolies um mm-hmm. i think if your business model doesn't work other people should be able to come in and take over but with obviously with covid it's not it's not a useful like so I, what i would say is i guess other companies will come along you know more a lot of companies will be born out of the end of this and a lot of new production companies and people who might not have been able to get yeah. a business that they couldn't get before will get in there but it's a, it, it's at an expense of people who really actually should have been able to continue and weren't doing a bad job weren't trying to monopolize weren't trying to provide bad service because they were doing things at large scale it's just it's just really unfortunate, but again, I, I guess uh, you know the the silver lining's pretty thin on these things. But I do hope that some people who might come out of this and you know m- break into bits of those industries that they might not have broken into before, um, and also still hope in a way that those companies, those production companies, can repurpose themselves for you know the Twitch revolution of music and and those kind of things, like and help those people and provide services to them to to create great music in a different way. I think. Even at the, even if we stick to just live gigs and live productions, though, uh, it feels like there's going to be a massive hunger after all this is done. Mm-hmm. Surely, th- that, of course, they've lost a lot of money, um, lost a lot of business. But you know, hopefully, yeah, like you said, they stick around for afterwards, and maybe it's in the government's interest to make sure that happens as well, because it, it could be a big boost for the economy in, in that respect. If people go out and spend money on these things, so yeah. Uh, like that's one way they could be saved or like you said the other players coming in also yeah, but um, i mean that's the problem in the in every industry right now isn't it every everything that's been kind of mothballed for the past two years when everything you know hopefully goes back to normal there will be interest in everything the question is can they afford to stay around for these two years doing nothing and do they are they going to lay off everyone uh, and yeah, I mean, you can you can say the same about the the uh, air uh, the airplane uh, industry, the airplane, the travel uh, industry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, can they afford to have their uh, fleets grounded for two years, especially when <laughs> their margins as, were so thin? Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know a huge amount about the air travel industry, but again, in terms of the people at the top, I have to say I don't feels yes, terrible yes. for them i guess that's the point i'm getting at is that businesses are people and you're like those people at the bottom doing the sound engineering work for these big companies mm-hmm. for festivals they will find i hope a new lease of life somewhere else there are other places that you can do sound engineering in a pandemic and still use your skills still get a job mm-hmm. and so on and yeah and i'm not like like you say they're not all of those people will come back to the industry necessarily once this is over or to that you know the specific the industry of, of doing those things for live gigs and festivals but so there will be a bit of a shake-up air travel yeah i guess i feel like you say that the margins are razor thin because it's been yeah. a race to the bottom for years um well i guess actually you guys might know more than me I, I, I assume that's not true in live music no i doubt it i doubt it. i don't know much but from my little experience i i don't think it is 
My assumption with music is always everybody's making quite a lot of money because it seems like one of those industries, but you never really know where, you know, where all of it's going, I guess. Well, I mean, from a few things I know about the finances of uh, bigger festivals and bigger production companies, and the problem with these companies is that most of the time they have to pay a lot of things in advance. So they most likely will invest a lot of money up front and maybe money they don't have to book a big festival or a big gig, get the big names to commit, get the backline, get everything. And then somehow, if the gig doesn't happen, then and they need to refund everyone, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, then they might have a very big problem. That's why I'm saying I don't really know the situation of the production companies uh, working behind the major festivals uh, in the UK, but this is kind of the way the business model uh, function functions as, as far as I know. And I know of certain production companies that went bankrupt like that just because it happened to rain for three days in a row, let's say. Like, for instance, the biggest festival in Athens, I don't know, now it's been five, six years or so. One year, torrential rain happened for almost a week. Everything became mud. Everything. I know that this is Glastonbury, but <laughs> in Athens, this is not what they, what they planned for. They had to cancel everything. Obviously, the acts had other things to do, so they wouldn't come back and play in Athens, etc. And the company had to refund everyone, and then they went under. And that's it. They died. Just like that, in three days after I don't know twenty years of doing festivals. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's like yeah, you hope that companies will you know keep something aside to help them get through the hard times. But I, yeah, I mean, I think in the case of COVID, it's asking too much. It's been too long for any company who's got no cash flow to be expected to keep themselves just afloat yeah, and pay all their employees and so on and so forth. And that's when I guess you do have to look to the your government for for ways of dealing with that. And even and even if you think that the way modern economy works, like even even the government, it's you you work by, you know, going into debt. You get money, you invest that money, and then you hope that down the line, a few years down the line, you're gonna be making much more money and and be profitable. So if you think about those big gigs, they're not in the same level as smaller gigs where maybe the artist goes there and they get paid at the end of the night, uh, depending on, you know, the tickets or the beer sold or whatever. We are talking about big festivals where they call the band and they're like, okay, how much money do you want to come and uh, and play? And then they get, they get paid in advance. The whole, you know, production thing has to be paid for the, the places, the, the, the equipment, the stages all of the people working there. So, yeah, the show has to happen for for them to make any money. Otherwise, they're in debt from uh, day zero. Yeah. So, like, each gig is a, an investment of the sort that you're mentioning, basically. Yeah. And very risky. Mm. Yeah. I mean, think about how many people play in something like Glastonbury and the, and the level of those names and just the wages that they would have to pay, just the fees they would have to pay to the artists mm-hmm. to come and play are going to be something yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. For sure. I do wonder how much some of the big festivals that might be cancelling this year have already paid advances on non-refundable just to get people to say that they might be there if it's on and things like that. It's Because um, I can imagine, as you say, not all artists are like, you know, as... Um, 
forgiving <laughs> in that respect. As, as I mean, then insurance. Be. The other thing is insurance. That maybe you can argue yeah. that these companies should have been, uh, you know, getting big insurance uh, deals. I'm sure there's been a lot of getting <laughs> laughed at on the phone for insurance companies for outdoor um, events of any kind over the last year or so. Um, but yeah. Well, yeah, I wouldn't want to be making any decisions around that right now. That's all I can say. <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, I'd love to go on a tirade um, bashing our government and late-stage capitalism, but we should probably talk a little <laughs> bit more about um, uh, yeah, about the, the effects and the changes in gigs. I guess one thing we haven't really talked about is that... Well, we have talked a little bit about it, but specifically that some types of gigs only work if there's a lot of people in close proximity. I guess it's not the close proximity, actually. That's not true. It's the freedom of movement. So, like, there are gigs that people bit. go to... <laughs> yes. Yeah, so this is what I'm getting at. Mosh pits, uh, dancing. Um, just uh, there's the, the, there are classes of gigs that just don't don't work the same and don't give you anywhere near the same experience. And like festivals is saying one thing, but even if you remove festivals from because because they make up you know a, a, while while they have high attendance, they make up a small amount of the gig attendance that happens overall mm. in most countries. Like yeah, I, yeah, I, I wouldn't. I don't want to go and see system. Like if I can, yeah. if I can, if I have to stand two meters but, apart from everybody else. Yeah. But like yeah. I told you before, I think that system don't want to come and play for you if you're just you know socially distanced. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I don't even know it if they wouldn't. But ways. like, if it you're works gonna, both ways. if you if you're headbanging your way through a gig, like standing two meters apart from everyone's quite exposing in a way that's probably not that comfortable for a lot of the people who are going for that reason i guess i don't know i guess i don't know i say that i've actually been to a scene system at a festival and seen people standing on their own at the back of the crowd head banging so maybe not everybody but like a lot of people want to be in the fray if you don't feel like you're in the fray then you're just going to feel kind of socially awkward and not. <laughs> maybe i'm just revealing my inner thoughts about how i would feel <laughs> <laughs> jack let's go back to your childhood yeah <laughs> <laughs> No, when we when we first started this conversation and we were talking about you know little islands of isolated people doing watching the gig and doing the separate things, I I was thinking of an experience I had uh, playing this very bad uh, local festival. When when I say festival, I mean like they they booked uh, a place for about two hundred people uh, max and indoors. And they just booked like some like eight bands or something ridiculous, hoping that if every band has enough band members and all the band members can bring their mum and their dad, possibly the place <laughs> would be sold out. <laughs> I think that was their idea or something. So we go pl to play there and uh, we were the, the last band. I don't want to say headliners because I was definitely not headlining. <laughs> Was this headlining so, at four AM? Yeah. yeah, exactly. So you basically, we go there. It's after midnight. Uh, I was already sleeping at that time. I was backstage sleeping after having eaten and everything. I just did not want to go and play. And we get on stage, and we realize that the situation is kinda like this. There's like a table there with some older people who are having like a few older drinks. There is few random people left over in the bar who maybe didn't even know it was a festival but they just happened to walk in there is like two <laughs> friends of ours who are mega fans sitting 
at the front, like like a meter away from the stage. And another few uninterested people that probably work for the place that are there in the back hoping that everyone will leave so that they can close and, uh, I don't know, sweep the floor or something. <laughs> what a scene. So when you, walk, uh, when you walk on stage and then you start playing and, and you see all these different groups of people having totally different reactions to the music and there's, there's two people having the best time of their lives because they are <laughs> mega fans drunk. They waited there for three hours just to to see that and there's the other people that are disinterested and the grown-up people who now are a bit disappointed because the music is loud and they can't talk uh, <laughs> in my mind i'm thinking of that of the socially distance gig and i'm thinking of that but like times 100 and i'm thinking how do you go up on stage and kind of relate to all these people probably you don't probably you go there you're professional you play for the five guys at the front who are uh, really really the, the guys that are headbanging then the, the lights are probably so bright you can't see behind that anyway. So you just you just reminded me of a gig as well that I went to that was actually very well socially distanced, but this was like in 2010 or something like that. Um, and it was you know Michelangelo Batio, the guitarist, oh, the guy, that oh, guy, yeah. the guy. If you know him, the you know him. The guy that has a guitar with four necks. Yeah, he plays a guitar like um, like receptionist touch type kind of thing. That's how his that's his approach <laughs> yeah. to guitar. And um, yeah, but the problem was in <laughs> this is totally unrelated to the social distancing. But but like the the problem with the gig was it was in the basement of this club, um, and the ceilings in the basement weren't very high. So he could do the spinning, but he could only do the two headed, and he could only spin it down. <laughs> like he couldn't spin it up because he would have hit the ceiling of the club. And I was just like, oh, for like I couldn't believe they made such a mistake in in putting him in there in that particular situation when he was supposed to be playing like yeah, fucking four headed guitar and spinning it in circles and. And whatever else but um yeah but everybody was stood really far apart because of course everybody who goes to see michelangelo batio does one thing they all stand separately with their arms folded glaring at him because that that is all the people who are there are all just shredders and like you know like like old school metal heads all just standing there to want watching the technical display of what he's doing and barely listening to the music or kind of no one was dancing no one was drinking everybody was stood there with their arms folded just watching and that was that was it like totally separate no conversation happening no interaction with the crowd uh, I, I mean he he spoke a little bit in between and cracked a few jokes but like it wasn't it was the weirdest atmosphere and i don't want to go through that again with a band that I really, really, really like where they're not just doing some technical display. <laughs> like, this is a thing you could do with a guitar if you practice for 16 hours a day or whatever. Well, for our uh, listeners that do not know of uh, Batio, <laughs> I have to say that the, the way I learned about Batio 15 years ago was this video on uh, YouTube called Freight Train. Oh, everyone knows Freight Train, yeah. That video... <laughs> If you haven't watched it, you should go and watch it. It is, it is amazing. It, and then, yeah, and he does all of the things that you want to see. And it's so 80s that your brain explodes from the intensity of the hair metal. <laughs> Just from the volume of hair. <laughs> There's a lot of instruments lowering down from invisible ceilings, isn't there? <laughs> it's one of those kind of. Uh, it's, yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, there, there's explosions. They, there is, and those vocals that are amazing, like the, the squeezy bolts vocals. 
So these guys talked about Michelangelo Batio for another two hours, but I wanted to save you from that. So I think it's a pretty good place to end the episode. If you have any topics you think are relevant to the discussion that we may not have thought about, we'd love to hear about it. So please write in at podcast at mixsignals.show. That is podcast at mixsignals.show. As always, please rate us on whatever platform you're using to listen. It really helps us. Follow us on social media at Arbiters of Sound. And also check out our YouTube channel for additional content. All the links to those, as well as all the things we mentioned during the discussion, are in the show notes. Hope to see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.